0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth.
1: Welcome to Veritas. You've heard me say that oftentimes the simplest strategies pay great dividends. Getting sensible sun exposure and grounding to the earth are two examples. But what if I told you that sleeping on an incline is another? Have you ever wondered... Who told us that laying flat is the correct way to sleep? Who decided this was correct? And why are we accepting this unqualified flatbed wisdom? I've never thought about it before, have you? I sleep flat because my parents left flat and their parents before them, I guess. Well, few have heard of it, and sleeping on a horizontal surface is a well-established norm. Raising the head of your bed six to eight inches so that you're sleeping on a five-degree incline have a number of benefits, including improving blood circulation, boosting metabolism, improving lymphatic drainage from the brain, improving immune system function, improving respiratory function, easing symptoms associated with Alzheimer's, diabetes, glaucoma, migraines, multiple sclerosis, sleep apnea, acid reflux, edema, varicose veins, and more. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. I always love to hear from you. For more than two decades, Andrew Fletcher has worked tirelessly, selflessly, and self-funded to develop incline bed therapy. He has been helping people around the world regain control of their health by simply advising them to raise their beds and the head end to a five-degree angle. This is based on his new understanding of the role that gravity plays in driving our circulation. Andrew, a British mechanical engineer, said to have "quote unquote, an avid interest in how things work. He stumbled upon the theory by studying the circulatory circulatory system of plants. And to tell us more, Andrew K. K. Fletcher joins us directly from Panton, Devon, UK. Hello, Andrew, and welcome to Veritas. How are you?
0: Hello, Mel. Um, thank you for having me on the show. I'm very well. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, enlightening a few people on the, uh, the folly of bed rest. And, this um, is... Hopefully, people and enjoy what they're about to hear.
1: I was mentioning to you before we started that I get excited sometimes because doing what I do, sometimes I get some of our listeners, Debbie Simons, by the way. Hi, Debbie. You refer me to Andrew, and sometimes I get information and I read it first and I think this is ridiculous. This doesn't make sense, but then I start reading, and it all makes sense. And I'm even buying some of the rices for my bed. And we'll discuss that later. But before we started, I mentioned to you that years ago, I think it was in the uh, a museum in, in in Boston, Queen Ketiferis, I believe it was the name.
0: That's the bed, yes.
1: Right? She was uh, around 2575 to 2528 before Christ. And I saw that the bed was inclined. And I thought, you no, know, maybe whoever built it, built it wrong but it never occurred to me that that could have been the way the ancient ones slept. Is this something you have rediscovered,
0: Andrew? Yes, it is. Uh, it was a, f- a fascinating adventure. Um, I was delighted when I uh, I uh, asked the curator at the same museum in Boston to measure one of the beds and and found that it was a five-degree angle. Um. Yeah, it was uh it was quite fascinating. But it, it's not just the ancient Egyptians, there are various other um images on the internet um which are found in Constantinople, ancient Constantinople. There's an entire hospital ward with all the beds inclined. And these people were renowned for their success in health. Um there's a, a native uh picture of some natives in a tent in a mud hut. Sorry, a mud hut. Doing a, a successful c section witnessed by one of our UK doctors, and um, the bed is inclined. And in the document, it states that the bed is inclined. Uh, why? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been an amazing adventure. Um, but if we study animals, um, first of all, you know, in the zoos where they've been conditioned to lie on flat surfaces, we're not going to see the true picture. But if we look at animals in the wild, uh, or indeed um, cattle and sheep in a field. And uh, if there's a hillside there, uh, you'll see them all opt in for the incline. And, um, you know, I've seen entire flocks of sheep and entire herds of cattle all pointing uphill with their heads.
1: Now, I read a little bit of your bio. taking me back to your childhood because you obviously, I was laughing because you seem, I seem to remind myself that you were like me a little bit. Yeah, I was the type of student that was never happy with some of the answers and it was kind of problematic in that sense because i would say you know what you're just telling me to believe this but this doesn't make sense now how was yes. your childhood and how did you evolve into finding this
0: oh, that that's an interesting question um yeah i i was a problem child um at school i you know I, well i was a bit of a scientist as well um i had my first microscope when i was a youngster uh, as many of us did um and i used to travel to um gc hogs in birmingham which was a fair old jaunt on the on the train uh, and then a long walk and we used to buy chemicals there for making all sorts of things including including i might say bonds uh, <laughs> as a youngster you know so i understood a fair amount of chemistry and a fair amount of biology but When someone says something and I don't understand it, I'm the sort of person that says, that don't make sense. I don't understand it. And then when you say that to a teacher, you become that problem kid in the classroom, as you were, Mel.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you get brushed brushed aside and, you know, made to look a little bit foolish at times. Um, But anyway, the the story began way, way back after my childhood. (laughs) I'm 61 years young now. Um, I wanted to understand how water reached the top of a tree. Um, I wanted to understand first of all what they were doing with the salts because on irrigated land, um, where there's high evaporation, such as deserts, um, the, the land gets poisoned. So there's a build of crust, there's a crust buildup on the land, um, which causes the irrigation to move elsewhere because the land becomes infertile. But what I noticed in the programs that I was watching was there were trees present and some of these trees were a couple hundred years old. So they didn't have any problem with the salt and there were plants growing around these trees. So the, the puzzle was that the trees appeared to have lifted the salt and indeed they lift heavy metals as well from the soil. So I wanted to know, and this is the angle I approached it from, I wanted to understand how they were using the salts so uh, I got got hold of a GCSE biology book from D.G. McCain. And it, it was a book that I remember reading at the school as well. And I read all about water transporting trees. And I just fell about the floor laughing. I mean, osmosis, water can somehow attract water up to the top of, of a giant Californian redwood. It doesn't quite cut it for an engineer. Uh, capillary action, the tree's a giant sponge. So it soaks water up to the top of the tree. Again, that's a non-starter. Root pressure. The roots somehow squeeze water out the top of a tree. Ridiculous. But, by the
1: way, almost 400 feet, that is, for the, red, yes. the redwoods.
0: Yes. And the, the new kid on the block or relatively new kid on the block is the cohesion tension theory, which states that as one molecule leaves the leaf, it pulls up an entire column of water. Uh, 400 meter, uh 400 feet into the air. And that, that again is wholly inad- inadequate explanation for fluid transporting trees. So I said, okay, then if you don't believe any of this, which I didn't, what really happens? So I, I threw away all of the, uh, the explanations, which indeed the, the author, D.G. McKean disagreed with. Um, and, and I think it was his honesty and his integrity in writing the book. Uh, That caused me to question uh, that, you know, everything that was in the book. And um, it took me 20 minutes to solve the problem. And the problem as I saw it was that the tree stood vertical. So it was obviously benefiting in some way from gravity, else it would grow horizontally. It would take the easy route out. And um, the evaporation was all taking place in the canopy. In fact, 98% of all the water that comes through the roots evaporates through the leaves. In transpiration, I have no problem with that. And um, the the flow downwards is uh, in the phloem, um, which is a, a concentrated sap, and the flow upwards um, in the xylem is a dilute sap. Um, so I deduced that the evaporation from the leaves, uh, the evaporation of ninety eight percent of all the water, its purpose was to concentrate the sap. And because the leaves produce sugars uh, by uh, photosynthesis, then that makes the sap heavier at the top of the tree than at the bottom of the tree. So gravity pulls the dense sap down. And for every action, we mustn't forget that, for every action, there must be a reaction. If you increase the downflow, you're automatically generating a return flow. So in this case, the downflow is under a positive pressure caused by gravity and if you can imagine that dense flowing sap behaving like a liquid plunger in a syringe, being forced down under a positive pressure. But all of those molecules are collected, connected to other molecules. So if you move those molecules down, they drag on the molecules behind it. And that, that dragging effect, molecular drag, goes right back down the so- other side of the the, um, the vessels in the xylem, down through the roots and out into the soil. So by causing a downflow, you're actually drawing water into the tree and back up under a tension in the xylem. So the trees never had to raise water from the ground to the leaves. That was the mistake. They asked the wrong question. What they should have asked was, how do trees circulate sap? And they have indeed got a circulation just like our own. Um, To test the theory, and I did this many times, I set up a tubular experiment, 6 millimeter bore tubing, hard nylon plastic tubing, um, which is uh, opaque so you can see through. Um, I filled the tube up initially with just normal tap water. Uh, both open ends were placed into two demijohns, two bottles of water. And um, what we found was that the tension on, in the uh, return flow side was actually causing uh, gas to gas cavitate. So I took the gas bubbles out by boiling, boiling the water first. And now that's got degassed water in it. So we have a loop of tubing, which is 24 meters, uh, 48 meters long. The tube is filled with boiled water with 10 to 15 milliliters, 10 to 50 milliliters of colored salt solution is added to the center of the tube. The two open ends are put into two bottles filled with again, boiled or degassed water and both at uh, ground level the center of the tube is then raised up a cliff to 24 meters uh, as an inverted u-tube um, which incidentally the laws of physics say is not possible he can't do this he can't go over 10 meters in a single open-ended tube well the trees don't understand that law so neither do i um, and uh, what we saw was the colored soil solution started to flow down one side n- not a siphon effect but a a flow and return system. So the one bottle starts to overflow and the other bottle goes down, which means that journey from the top of the loop of tubing to the container below caused the entire contents of the adjoining tube to be lifted 24 meters without a pump. And you did this
1: repeatedly, so your results were the same. This was observable, provable. Yes. Where did you bring this information to after you found your conclusions?
0: Well, we had witnesses there from um, um, the Forestry Commission. So there were scientists there and the the manager from the, uh, actually the general manager from Devon of the Forestry Commission. Um, We had journalists there um, and newspapers there. And everybody agreed with what they'd seen is that that, um, law in physics had completely been blown out of the water, and um, no one could, well, no one could pick a hole in it. And it was demonstrated as well at schools and at universities. Um, I wanted to get it um, put in place at Kew Gardens, um, got turned down, so they couldn't do it. Wanted it put in place at the Royal Society, couldn't do it. Uh, went to various universities, wasn't interested. Um, one guy, a guy called Dr. Choi uh, from Exeter University, uh, professor, sorry, um, he looked out of the window after I'd explained to him what I'd discovered, and he says, for the first time in my life, I understand a tree. Wow. Yeah.
1: So there was so the, we, the only one person who actually embraced what you said.
0: I know there have been many, there have been many, but the thing is, Mel, it, it rocks too many boats, you know, there's going to be a lot of egg on a lot of people's faces when the truth of this gets out there.
1: But isn't this what science is all about?
0: To prove you wrong.
1: I know that. The curriculum is, is almost set in stone for many people. They don't want to change the status quo. I get that. But isn't science always trying to prove you wrong? And that's what you did?
0: Yes. 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 So,
1: with uh, all that, you went to you know, institutions, and they reviewed your work, they couldn't criticize it, they couldn't poke any holes. No. Why is it that they don't want to change the textbook, so to say?
0: Um, I think there's an old adage that you you, you can't defeat your opponents, you have to wait for them all to die off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Max Blank. Yeah, that's the guy, yeah.
1: Okay, so um, now that you have this, how did you transition from this into the inclined bed therapy?
0: Well, that that was pretty easy. Um, what we've got here is a non-living physical force that makes things live. So I'm looking at here at the animation of life itself, which is pretty deep. Um, so I thought, well, any column of water that stands above ground level and evaporates most of the water from the top which sounds awfully like a human being, um, must have some effect on the fluids that are flowing through its circulatory system. So in the case of the body, um, I deduce that the evaporation from the lungs are serving the same purpose as the tree's leaves. So it's concentrating the blood. So as the blood flows into the lungs, we breathe out, we evaporate water. We've all breathed on a mirror. We can see the condensation and the blood exiting the lungs is therefore denser, has to be. Uh, In fact, I found a paper that verified this on the dog's lung, um, that the blood coming out of the lungs is denser than the blood entering the lungs. So that passes through the heart and then the heart injects it back into the main artery. Now, if we're standing upright or if we're on an incline, gravity can pull on the denser blood and draw it down to the kidneys. And again, for every action, there's a reaction. If we stimulate an increased downflow, we're going to stimulate an increased return of flow. So uh, I got very excited about this and took it to uh, two physiologists. Um, and these these people were ve- uh, uh, venous surgeons. And um, I had a meeting with um, uh, Dr. Lewis and uh, uh, Dr. Celeste at, at Lewis's home in, in Torquay. And uh, I got my experiments out, because you can, you can make a scaled-down version of, of the uh, of Brixham-Cliff experiment so that you can put it on any person's desk and they can see exactly what you're dealing with. Uh showed the experiment, gave the explanation, and Lewis turned around to me and he said, my God, he said, I thought pure science was dead in the water, and here it is on my kitchen table. Totally fascinated. He said, how, how would... Um, how would you expect the blood pressure to change in the legs if you were walking as opposed to standing still, based on your theory? I said, I would expect to see an increase in, in arterial pressure and an equal decrease in venous return pressure. He says, that's exactly what happens, and nobody's been able to explain why. And he said, uh, I'm just going to leave the, uh, the, the talk at the moment. Um, I won't be long. He said, I've got a patient, and the patient is uh, severely swollen with edema. Um, we've tried the diuretics, and we've tilted the patient's bed. I'll be back shortly. He came back. He said, I've never seen anything like it. The fluid loss has been astounding. He said, so uh, I'm sold on it. And lots of promises are always made. We're going to help you do this. We're going to help you do that. But nothing ever happens.
1: Nothing ever happens, especially in the medical industry, probably because just I'm just thinking of so many – this is such a paradigm shift by reading all your material because this is new to me I'm all into alternative health as everybody knows and when I think of this I think of children who die of sudden uh, SIDS, sudden infant, infant syndrome uh, SATS sudden adult syndrome how many adults
2: thank you for listening to unlock the full two hour interview including video formats Downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more. Subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. To listen to the rest of the interview, you don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe you want to know.